Hey, Amy, can you put back on the screen that passage from Isaiah 53 that our Advent team uh, read for us? Because let's just take a few minutes here and let's uh, consider what the Lord has for us today before we come to this table. If you've never taken communion here, um, then uh, this is going to be maybe a new experience for you. If you've taken communion here before, you kind of know what we do. We we really are trying to get out of the way as much as we can to let you come and worship the Lord. And for some of you, I know uh, communion seems painfully long. You know, like, oh, this thing is never going to end. I can never get a space at the kneeler. But our intent here is uh, we really believe that one of the cornerstones of your journey of faith should be a contemplative life where you are considering your own heart and spending time with the Lord and engaging with Him. So we try to create a prolonged time for our communion time for you to worship and contemplate your own self and who the Lord is so that you can integrate that back into your life. Because like we say often here, if you come to church, uh, it only lasts about an hour and a half. But if you are the church, then really things start when you walk out that door. And so what we've been trying to do during this Advent season, some of you may be freaking out a little bit that we're lighting candles and stuff because this really seems old school, you know. Uh, is that we're trying to give you an opportunity to breathe wonder into this season, to actually become master manipulators, that you would use a season called Christmas and breathe a supernatural wonder into it. So uh, that's what we're going to try to do today, is try to give you an opportunity to breathe on this season and bring wonder. So uh, we read this passage from Isaiah 53, which is prophecy about the coming Messiah, and uh, It's interesting because when you look at this passage, and you can kind of just scroll through it, Amy, uh, listen to the words that are in here. Pain, suffering, punished, stricken, afflicted, pierced, crushed, wounds, gone astray. I mean, these, I can promise you, are words you will not read on any Christmas cards that you get during this season. I mean, seriously, there, what, okay, you can take that off now. Um, We don't want scripture to distract us from my preaching. Uh, Because, I mean, think about it. I mean, we, we don't, we don't say those words during this season, do we? And these don't sound like words of wonder. You know, words of wonder are like, Merry Christmas, you know, Rudolph, joy, reindeers. I mean, just, you know, all these things that capture our childlike wonder that we try to stir uh, to make this a good season. Well, if you were here last week, some of you were still gone for the holidays. Boy, we kicked that table over pretty good last week. And we busted the bubble when we talked about uh, when God came to Mary through the angel Gabriel and said, you are favored by the Lord. And last week we talked about What does it mean to be favored by the Lord? Because if we're in Christ, we are favored by the Lord. So like Mary, we're in a position of favor. And we discovered last week that favor doesn't mean that life is going to be normal. Matter of fact, favor actually comes and puts to death this need to keep everything in my life in a box that's predictable and the outcome is achievable and that my life kind of follows a pattern that's normal and doesn't get outside that box too much. That if you are favored, guess what? God comes in and explodes that box. That's why we say here a lot of times that 
Well, if you're going to follow Christ, get ready because he is going to mess your life up. He messed up Mary's. You can go back and listen. We also said last week that it's not easy. Favor doesn't mean now your life is going to be easy. It's not going to be Oprah's favorite things. You know, that, that Jesus doesn't come in to all of a sudden make your life easy. That we have to give up the idol that easy or that comfort or that what you think is great does not equal good. That's hard, isn't it? And we'll talk about that in just a second. But if you have time, you know, we challenged you last week to take the book of Luke and read a chapter every day and try to breathe wonder into this season. If you go to chapter 1, you read the, the song of Mary. Here's a woman who, who normal got crushed, easy got completely burned away, and she was promised she's going to experience grief like she's never known before by watching her own son die on a cross. And yet she sings this song in chapter 1 that's full of wonder. It's a song that's full of praise. It's a song that's full of, yes, now I've finally reached it. <laughs> okay, well, let's try to understand that because if you're like me, you try to push these tragic words, pain and suffering and struggle and affliction and pierce, we try to push those out of the season and we try to avoid pain and we try to have a perfect Christmas. But the problem with these words is, I don't know about you, but they tend to follow me like a bad odor when you haven't bathed in a week. Or you've been camping and you smell like smoke and you can't go anywhere where somebody to go, Are you, have you been camping? Like, those words follow me like that. Well, let's talk about it just for a second before we come to the community table. Let me ask you this question. Does Christmas ever disappoint you? I mean, do you ever have expectations about Christmas that don't get met? Or do you ever come home from Christmas if you travel for Christmas and thank God that you can come home and rest from your holiday? Do you ever come home and feel like uh, that your family is the thing that you need rescued from rather than the people that rescues from everything else? You know, it was about, uh, it was a number of years ago, we... uh, I can't name any things because this gets recorded, but I had a family member who uh, decided that it would be great if she made everybody gifts for this Christmas. And so uh, I was in college, and we're all opening the presents, and she had learned how to knit that year. And so she was going to knit everybody a present. And, you know, she thought, I'm in college, you know, know, clothes, I guess, matter. You know, you want to look good. So she uh, knitted me a sweater. And I thought, that's really sweet. And the thing about receiving a handmade article of clothing for Christmas is there's a certain expectation that comes with that gift. And do you know what that expectation is? Put it on. Yeah. And wear it a lot. And I didn't mind wearing a hand-knitted sweater that the collar was about out to the shoulders, you know, so it looked like one of those 80s, I'm a maniac, you know, kind (laughs) of thing over the shoulder. You know what I'm talking about? That was weird. But on top of that, in letters this big, I'm not kidding you, it, she had spelt Randy across the front of my sweater. (laughs) 
You know, that's uh, funny, isn't it? Yeah, you can laugh. You, you didn't get that sweater. But let me take you uh, a little below the surface. Because when I get something I don't want, uh, it doesn't take me long to know that I don't want it. Matter of fact, uh, I have the capacity within me to not want anything I have. I do. I have something that dwells in me uh, that has the capacity to not want anything. Nothing's good enough. Nothing satisfies Nothing meets the expectation. Nothing ever accomplishes what I want it to accomplish. I mean, let me take you a little deeper. I have the capacity to not want my fears. I have the capacity not to want my struggles. I have the capacity to not want my insecurities. I don't want my anxieties. I don't want my family issues. Sometimes I don't even want my family. I have the capacity to not want my pain. I have the capacity not to want to want my sin. I have the capacity not to want my past, my heartbreak, the things that I've messed up or the things that other people have messed up for me. I have a capacity to want to shed the skin of everything about me and say I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want my weight. I don't want my health. I don't want my hair. I don't want my face. I have the capacity to not want any of it. <laughs> You know, what's crazy about not wanting those things inside of me, it kind of bleeds out because I can easily begin to not only not want me, but I can begin to despise out of that place everything that I have. Let me try to help you understand is that when I don't want anything that I have or anything that I am, I don't want anything around me. Matter of fact, I have the capacity not to want any of my things. But on top of that, I have the capacity to not want my things, but want your things. I have the capacity not to want my job, but want your job. I have the capacity not to want my relationships, but want your relationships. I have the capacity to not want my family. I have the capacity not to want myself. So when I don't want anything inside of me, not just the sweater with Randy across the chest, obviously that's coming back in style and I'll have all of you made one, all right? But I have the capacity to want to shed everything about me and say I don't want it, including everything that I have. And when I do that, then now hard, things are hard, begin to change their definition. Hard equals wrong. This is hard. There must be something wrong about it. Or pain, I'm in pain, that means this is bad. Pain equals bad. Or, get this, that when I'm despising everything about me and what I have and my past and everything about me and all the things that I own and the things that I do from my jobs to my relationships to my family to even being here on Sunday morning, when I'm shedding all those things and saying I don't want them, I have the capacity to say when life is heavy, it's just a major disappointment. Because let me tell you something, hard is not wrong. Pain is not bad. And heavy does not equal disappointment. 
But when I'm living in the world that I don't want anything I have, which is discontentment, I don't want anything I have, discontentment, then all the things from hard, pain, and heavy get changed in their definition in my life. And I can get into a black hole. Can you do that? And let me tell you what happens with me, and just see if you can relate to this. And if you can't relate to this, then take great comfort when you come to the communion table and thank the dear Lord above that you have a really screwed up pastor. Because you're going to be great. When I get into that black hole, guess what I do? I begin to start milking out of everything. I want to milk out of everything wonder, satisfaction, contentment. I demand that my job give me some sense of satisfaction. I demand that my relationships give me some sense of fulfillment. I demand that the things that I own, that they meet my needs. That when my computer slows down, it drives me nuts because how could it do this to me? Think about it. I have the capacity to start demanding and putting the burden on everything in my life, including other people, that you fill me up and satisfy me. I abuse things, I abuse others, and I even abuse myself because I'm discontent because my stuff isn't giving me what I want from them. Can it be that dark? And that's just one area. That was just a sweater at Christmas. It is that dark. Matter of fact, it's not just the bad things in my life, it's also the good things in my life. Listen to this. Sin isn't only doing bad things, it is more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Wow. Do you feel the wonder of the season? (laughs) We need a priest. Now, that may really sound strange to you, that we need a priest. But we need a priest. In Hebrews chapter 5, it talks about the role of a priest. It says a priest is someone who mediates between us and God. That a priest is also someone who helps remove our guilt and our shame. And he's also the one that comforts us in the middle of our pain. And that sounds great to have somebody like that. Someone who can come in and really ease the pain of life, that can take away some of the guilt of the mistakes that I've made. Someone who can even help me connect better with the Lord. But that's not what we're talking about. Because that's more like a life coach. When Christ was born, when he came in the manger, he didn't just come as a savior. Scripture tells us that he came as a prophet, as a priest, and as a king. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But let me explain just briefly here. What does it mean that he became a priest for us? That Christ has become our priest. In Hebrews chapter 10, if you have a Bible, turn there. In verse 11. Through 14. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. 
day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. He's talking about that that uh, Christ, God established back in the times of Abraham all the way up to the moment of Christ, a temple, ceremonies to be overseen by the priest, and they had their religious duties to mediate between God and the people, to bring about sacrifices for the removal of guilt, and also to comfort those in need. But they would do their duties, and again and again, he, meaning the priest, would offer the same sacrifices which, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, and when he says this, he's referring to Christ. And what he's saying is everything that came before Christ was a shadow. It was a shadow of the reality. And when Christ appeared, here appeared the reality, the true priest. When this priest, referring to Christ now as a priest, had offered for all times one sacrifice for sins, that he offered a sacrifice for sins, fulfilling the full responsibility of a priest, He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I want you to capture the craziness of this gospel is that the priest did not come and actually offer a sacrifice. Our priest became the sacrifice. He became the sacrifice for our sins. See, surely in Isaiah 53, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. See, he didn't come to comfort me in my pain. Jesus did more than that. He came and took on my pain. Jesus came and took on my sufferings. Jesus came and took on my sins. It even says, he who knew no sin, because he was a perfect priest, he became sin. A friend of mine used to ask me, he says, who was the most sinful man that ever lived? That's well, a trick question because the answer to that is Christ. Because Christ took on all our sins. He didn't just comfort us in our sin. He took all of our sins on him. And why did he do this? It says it here, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Did you catch that? He made us holy. He became my sin so that I could become the holiness of God. Do you see the wonder in this? It means that I don't avoid or minimize the struggle and pain of my brokenness. I'm free now to celebrate my need in view of the great need meter. All that stuff that we talked about, about my ability to be discontent, let's take any sin you want and let's dive into it. How great is our need in that? It is massive. But how great is the need meter? He is even more massive. For he took all that sin upon himself so that we could take on the holiness and the righteousness of God, which means this is what is the requirement of me? My need for that. That's my need. Let me try to give you a little perspective. Renee and I, about 10 years ago, were on a cruise. Some friends took us on a cruise with them. And the first night at a cruise, they they have an assigned table for dinner. At your table all week long, you have the same server, you know, and you dress up and you go. And it's, you know, it's a nice restaurant. And we sit down and 
we're looking at the menu and she's she's wrestling with steak or lobster steak or lobster you know and they don't charge you once you're on the boat it's free right free and uh so we're sitting there and the waiter comes around and i don't remember his name let's say it's earl and earl from india goes hey uh what would you guys like to eat tonight and renee goes you know what i uh i am so hungry and i am really being torn between the uh steak or the lobster and he goes uh he put his hand on her hand and he goes would you trust me she said yes i will and uh so he disappears the rest of us order and she's like mean like what what i don't know it's bizarre and he came back and he was an angel and the whole ship floated in the sky and we disappeared to the third heaven and we are here to give you revelation for that oh that would be bizarre wouldn't it especially if this building started to float right now anyway he came back and guess what he had done he brought her both because her paradigm was that when you're hungry and you go to a restaurant, you pick one entree. You pick what you want. And his paradigm is, if you're hungry, I'll bring you everything your heart desires. And he just laid it out. You want all the desserts? I'll bring them all. You want more lobster? I'll bring them. Because all that's required in that scenario is to be hungry and to be present. And it's hard for us to imagine that kind of generosity because we're so used to when you show up and you order, you pay. And you count what money you have in your account before you order. You say, I can't afford to order every entree so I can just take one bite from each one of them. But in God's paradigm, he's saying, you need to change the way you're thinking now. You need to not see your pain and the things that have robbed you of life and your discontentment and your ability to go to that dark place as those places that you despise and you run away from. God is saying, no, those are the very places that reveal our deep hunger for a priest. Matter of fact, that's why in Isaiah, that's where he kicks in the door of our lives and comes in and says, I am here. That's where wonder is birthed, not in having a very small Savior because I have a very small need. Wonder comes when I unpack the fact that there is no satisfaction in me apart from Christ. And if God doesn't show up, this season's not going to just be filled with wonder. It's going to be full with pain and regret and a season that I'm going to need a lot of counseling just to get through. But if Christ comes into the middle of that darkness, he shines in a bright light. That's why it says in Psalm 23, I was with some friends this week and we were talking about that. It says, he leads me beside still waters to do what? Yeah, to restore my soul. Do you hear the wonder of that promise? Do you know what it's like to live your life with a restored soul? Do you know what it's like for the God of the universe to breathe into your soul and for you to wake up? I am restored. Man, I am in the right place. I've been made holy. All my sins have been forgiven. All my guilt is gone. I'm not living in the shadow of shame anymore. Now I'm living in the shadow of promise because I've been made like my father in heaven and I've got his son living inside of me. Listen to the wonder that that I am restored. Can you imagine what life would be like if I stopped going to everything in my world to try to restore my soul? That I stopped looking for that person that's going to make me feel like my soul's restored? that I stop looking for the perfect Christmas that's going to restore my soul, 
that I'm going to stop looking for that perfect job that's going to restore my soul, or I'm going to stop expecting my kids to be perfect so they can restore my soul, or I stop looking in the mirror and expecting me to be perfect because I hope that's going to restore my soul. But imagine if that got flipped. Imagine if I am restored, and then I walk into my job as I'm restored. I'm bringing restoration here because I'm bringing me here. Or I'm walking into my marriage, and I'm restored. And I'm walking into my love for my wife as someone who is restored. Or I'm walking into my calling or school or my relationships. Or get this, imagine going home this Christmas as someone who is forgiven and restored and walking in with the confidence into your house that where I go, God goes with me. And he has not left me and he has not forsaken me. And he's given me everything I need for life and godliness. And I don't have to be afraid. Can you, some of you, can you imagine walking into your parents' house this Christmas and not being afraid? Or feeling fear, but it doesn't control you because you are restored. We need a priest. It's darker than we could possibly imagine. But he is more wonderful than we can possibly dream. For he doesn't give us everything we want. He gives us everything we need and he ushers us into the wonder and the magnitude that we were made by him. Do you get that, folks? We came from him. We're going back to him and it's going to happen in a breath. And in this season, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It says in Matthew, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, wow, a light is dawn. That's what this season's for. That's what this table's about. Yeah, let's pray, okay? Lord, it scares us to pull back the curtain and see all the ways that we struggle, the things that we believe in. It scares us, Lord, to think about how we are waiting, like Dave talked about, for something to happen, for someone to happen, for something to come in that maybe will make it all better. And yet here you stand, Lord, in the middle of our darkness, and you say, behold, the light has come. God, we need that like hungry children that can't even imagine a cruise ship where we can have whatever we want. It's hard for us to imagine as we come to this table that you are the great need meter, that you are the one that restores our soul, that you are the one that causes us to trade such crazy things as pain and not just see them as bad, to trade normal for your good to trade easy and comfort. That's what we're after. And explodes supernaturally in us. Lord, would you peel back the curtain of our cynicism and our doubts and would you allow us in this time of worship now to behold you as the great light in our darkness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're about to come to this table. Let me tell you a little about how this is going to work. (laughs) 
there'll be music and um, it's playing continually. I encourage you to pray when you're ready. Then come to uh, the kneelers up here. Squeeze in really tight. Um, trust me, the people that you're rubbing shoulders with, their darkness is as dark as yours and their need is as deep as yours. We just may be different levels of being aware of that. But let's uh, squeeze in and when you're ready for the servers to serve you, put your hands out and um, they'll serve you. And we've got something here this morning that I'm going to encourage you to pray about. Uh, we have some folks that are going to be on the side of the kneelers over here that are going to be there to pray for you and to meet with you. Because this morning, you may be facing something that you just can't face alone. And the Lord is beautiful in giving us each other. And you just may need someone to pray for you, or you may need counsel, or maybe what I said this morning has awakened you to maybe something where you're like, I don't know this Jesus, and they'd love to talk to you about that. But uh, let's prepare our hearts. For Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and he said, this is what Jesus said about what we're about to do. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's one of our sacraments. We believe that when we come to this table, we get to taste, we get to smell, we get to experience the Lord and what he did for us on the cross and the power of his resurrection. He says, remember, but also proclaim it to your own heart. It's a renewal. It's covenantal renewal. It's a time where we come in and we remember, yes, he's made me his. And yes, his promises are true. And yes, I've forgotten that. Help me remember. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And a person ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So let me give you a little warning here. This is a serious place where we come to meet the Lord. And if you're not in a place where you know Christ, that that's not uh, the title that you put on your journey, if you're still trying to understand that, then I encourage you to stay where you are, enjoy the worship, come up and talk to folks if you'd like to come up and talk to our team. Uh, but this table is not for those that are not in Christ. This table is for those that desperately know their need for it. But also, if you're a believer here this morning, and uh, you're really playing this game to where you're not going to let Jesus have all of you, or you're saying to the Lord, I call you Lord, but I'm not following you, that there are huge parts of my life that I've said to you, keep your hands off, well, Jesus is saying to us this morning and to you this morning, you know that's not love. You don't get married and date other people. <laughs> you get married and devote yourself. And the Lord is saying, hey, are you in that place? If you're not, deal with that first before you come here. Deal with that. Repent of that and get in touch with the hunger that you have that he meets. Then come to this table. Now, if you're getting into a mind trap of have I repented of every sin, don't do that to yourself. If you have a desire to have a desire to come to this table and give them all, then come to this table. And if that confuses you, come up and let some more folks talk and pray with you. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this table. 
that as you said, it's a time for us to remember, for us to be restored back to our sanity. We've so easily forgotten, Lord, and we have done crazy things, Lord. We have so easily turned hard and made it wrong. We've taken pain and we've made it bad. And we treat heavy like it's nothing but a great disappointment, like we shouldn't have to experience that kind of stuff in our lives. And yet, Lord, through the cross, you made these things gateways, doors in which you shine into our lives, the very darkness of hard and pain and heavier, the places where you shine your light. Come and meet us in that place, Lord. Let this season be a season of wonder, and let us worship you. In Christ's name.